Let us pray. Even now, Lord Jesus, come among us by your Spirit. Fill our hearts with rejoicing. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to be seated. And good morning, everyone. It is so good to be back in the pulpit. Um, I continue to recover. I'm doing much better, but still get fatigued pretty easily. But I want to thank all of you for your prayers, for your many expressions of kindness and support during these past three weeks. I also want to express thanks to Tim Howe for for stepping up, Father Tim Howe, for stepping up and uh, substituting last week. Father Jed continues to recover as well. Last Sunday, if you all noted, we said that he was being treated for the flu. Subsequent to last Sunday's service, he did test positive for COVID. So he's been treated for COVID. He's just about passed the window for being contagious, but out of an abundance of precaution, we opted for him not to be here this morning. We look forward to having him back with us serving at the altar next Sunday. I also want to take time to thank our staff and communications volunteers. Um, Folks, we have such a wonderful staff at this church in the past three weeks, which have been a little tumultuous with um, short notice changes on sermons and service formats. They've all just stepped up and, and did what needed to be done to make things happen. So I am so incredibly appreciative to all of our team, both um, again, paid staff and our communications and sound volunteers, thank you all so very much for your hard work and your faithful service to the Lord and to Christ church. I do have one other important announcement that I want to make now rather than, than during the announcements. I received a call at 6.15 this morning and our, our beloved brother, Martin Everett, went to be with the Lord in his sleep last night. Sometime during the night, Martin passed away. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And Martin certainly was a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will have, as soon as we have more information regarding funeral arrangements, we will be in touch both um, through service announcements and also through online communications to let you know about the specifics. But we don't know any of that yet. Again, this happened during the night hours last night. I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices. We're looking this morning, focusing primarily on our reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if I drink a little more water or cough a few times during the sermon, um, I'm still recovering. Especially focusing this morning on verses 15, 16, and 17 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Or 16, 17, and 18, excuse me. These verses are very fitting for Advent, because they are a strong exhortation to God's people in Paul's day and also in our day. The season of Advent is one of preparation and expectancy. In the season of Advent, the one we're living through right now, which certainly has been far from what we are normally accustomed to during this time of COVID, I think these verses have especially important and appropriate application. And their ultimate purpose is what we see in verse 23, looking ahead a little bit. Look at verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5 with me, where St. Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification. That's what 
God's word is talking about here. Molding us as believers and shaping us day by day, bit by bit, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. As our hearts and lives are prepared to reflect him ever more fully. As we prepare for his return. As we prepare to be found spotless through Christ. When our Lord appears to judge the world. Even as we prayed in our collect this morning. I think it's important as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to have an important, excuse me, to have an accurate frame of reference. St. Paul is writing to a fledgling church. Thessalonica is the first city in Europe where it is recorded that Paul had preached the gospel and planted a church. And while there certainly were probably some people of means or wealth within this church, all indications from scripture are that the Thessalonian church was primarily composed of people from the lower classes. We know this because St. Paul gives significant emphasis to manual labor in what he writes to them. And also because unlike some of Paul's other letters to other churches, he issues no warning to the Thessalonians about wealth or the perils of riches. This was a church that was also persecuted for their faith. Reporting on the church from Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, we read, (coughs) But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Things weren't easy for these Thessalonian believers. And yet Paul writes to them in these verses, verses 16, 17, and 18. Look at these verses with me again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These were not merely theoretical things that St. Paul was talking about. Rather, God himself, who gives this exhortation to them and to us through his word, makes the living out of this command possible by his power at work in us. I want to be clear. This was not wishful thinking or positive thinking, nor was it a denial of the realities of the hardships of life that these believers faced. Instead, it is a divine empowerment to live in abundant victory in the midst, in the midst of life's difficulties. Because God is indeed working in us and using difficulties to mold and shape us more fully in the image and into the character of Jesus Christ. There are three specific perspectives or ways of being that are identified here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and they really are three dimensions of a single heart attitude, an attitude of the heart that can only come through God's work in you and me. The singularness and the unity of these three dimensions is seen in the latter part of verse 18 where we read, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To frame our perspective, I think it's important to note that Paul does not say these things, plural, these things are the will of God for you. Rather, he says, this is, note the singular, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let's take a few minutes now to look at these three dimensions of this one heart attitude or God-framed perspective and to make some application in our lives. 
The first dimension is rejoice always, verse 16. It can also accurately be translated rejoice at all times. Rejoicing or being joyful, brothers and sisters, should never be confused with happiness. Happiness, as it is defined in our language and our culture, is based on feelings. It's based on emotions, and it's tethered to a this-worldly perspective. People use this kind of thinking, this temporal idea of being happy as a justification for all kinds of things. I remember one time many years ago when I was a pastor in the Assemblies of God, a lady sitting in my office telling me that she was going to leave her husband, not because she had any biblical grounds, but because she wasn't happy and God wanted her to be happy. Nowhere in scripture do we read that God wants us to be happy, but we do read that God wants us to be obedient and that he wants us to be filled with joy, which is a fruit of his spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. <clears throat> joy. The kind of joy which is God's will for you and me to know as a living reality is not natural. It doesn't come from anything in this world. It is not something which we conjure up in ourselves. It is not based on circumstances. It is a joy that comes through being in Christ and through this alone, brothers and sisters. It is a joy that comes as we fully apprehend the spirit-breathed power and resources that are ours through Jesus. Things of God whose power is so far beyond the pale of this temporal fleeting life that no earthly thing can squelch them or rob them from us. We need to remember that these words were spoken first to the early church. Think about that. Rejoice always. Spoken to people whose earthly experience was rarely anything except hardship. Spoken to a people who live with the realities of persecution and imprisonment and torture and even martyrdom, all because of Christ. Writing to another one of those fledging churches from a Roman prison cell, St. Paul could write this, Rejoice always. Excuse me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul wrote this to persecuted churches as he sat in prison waiting to be beheaded. Even in the midst of the things that we're facing right now in our culture, And in this world, because of COVID-19 and the many other challenges around us, God says to us, God's command to us is to rejoice because our joy, brothers and sisters, is not based on anything in this world, nor do we or should we allow anything in this world to rob us of that joy that comes from God and from his kingdom, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of life's challenges. Rejoice always. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Second, pray without ceasing, verse 17. In Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verse 1, as the introduction to a parable that Jesus is about to share, we read this. 
And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That is Jesus' intent and Jesus' will for you and me. Leon Morris in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians says this. The injunction to continual prayer springs out of the same great idea as that to continual rejoicing. Christianity turns people's thoughts away from themselves and their puny deeds to the great God who has wrought a stupendous salvation for them in Christ. The more we grow in prayer, the more we become aware of the reality of our own lack of sufficiency, of my lack of sufficiency, of your lack of sufficiency, and the more we become aware of our complete dependence upon God. This command is really about getting self out of the way and making space in our lives for God to work out of our dependence upon him alone. Continuing in prayer, praying without ceasing is about growing in our deep dependence on God, brothers and sisters. Continuing in prayer is what God uses to remove those things in our lives which are barriers to godly joy and godly rejoicing. Continuing in prayer is fellowship with God, living and walking continually in his presence. Far too often in the church and in our culture, I think we draw a dichotomy between the sacred and the secular, if you will. And that is not a biblical concept. Because for the believer, for the child of God, for the Christian who has been redeemed through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no separation or dichotomy between sacred sacred and secular. Everything that we do is unto the Lord. Everything about us and all of our doing is sacred and holy unto the Lord. St. Benedict of Nursia, who lived in the fourth century, wrote the rule of St. Benedict, which became the pattern for monasticism and for monasteries throughout the world. It is also what our book of common prayer is based on. Our, our spirituality is a Benedictine spirituality. But one of the things that you read that St. Benedict wrote in his rule is the Latin phrase, ora et labora, meaning prayer is work. And it's very common in that tradition to hear it said, prayer is work and work is prayer. The idea here is that all that we do can be prayerful, it can be a work unto the Lord, where even the most mundane tasks of life can be infused with the presence of God and the work of the Spirit, if we condition ourselves to think in those ways. I have not mastered that, I want to be the first to confess, but many of you know I have an icon of St. Benedict in my office, and my coffee mug in the office actually has the words, ora et labora, in Latin written on them, to remind me that this is what God calls us to. Because while it is rather impossible for us to always be uttering words of prayer, it is wholly possible, brothers and sisters, to always be living in a spirit or attitude of prayer as we grow in Christ, and as we give our all and all that we do and all that we are to him. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Third, give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. 
This too is directly connected with prayer. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Did you hear that? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Colossians chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 say Paul writes these words, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Once again, through Christ, God's will is to radically alter our perspective. So that even through events and circumstances that in and of themselves we certainly would not choose or welcome into our lives, we realize even in those circumstances, we realize and see God's hand at work. God's hand at work in every situation and in every circumstance. Give thanks in all circumstances. When we look at scripture, ingratitude is a trait of the world, not of spirit-filled believers. Even more bluntly stated, F.F. Bruce in his commentary on this passage says this, that ingratitude is one of the features of pagan depravity. In contrast, the children of God are to abound in thanksgiving because we have the assurance that God is doing his good and sanctifying work in us in all circumstances and situations. Nothing that comes our way through the testings of this world can counter the greatness of our God or the resources which come from his gracious hand to those who belong to him. This really comes down to the relationship between faith and fruitfulness. As we trust God, he will grow his fruit of joy in our lives so that we will rejoice always, that we will grow to pray without ceasing, and that we will give thanks in all circumstances. For as God does his sanctifying work in us, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. Let us pray. Father, fill our hearts with rejoicing. Discipline us to pray and order our lives so that we pray without ceasing, so that we are ever mindful of your presence and your work in even the most seemingly mundane tasks of life. And Father, fill us with your presence to give joy in all circumstances, to give thanks in all circumstances. Because we know that our hope and our sure foundation is you. And we ask that you would sanctify us, that you would mold us and shape us. And you would prepare us for the work that you have for us to do in this season. And that you would prepare our hearts even in this time of Advent, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in that day when he appears, we may be found faithful and blameless at his coming. 
And this we ask through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.